Right off the bat this evening, I want to say that our sermon title tonight has a Greek word in it, so I want you all to bear with me on that. The uh, sermon title is, What is Your Padea? We're going to explain that, so just bear with me. What is your Padea? Now that is, uh, if we were to anglicize that, we would spell it P-A-D-E-I-A. You can look that up if you'd like to. It's a P-A-D-E-I-A. What is your paideia? Now, before we get into the meaning of this, we want to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. This verse says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training." An admonition of the Lord. Training. This word training, as translated, is this Greek word, paideia. So, in essence, our sermon tonight is, what is your training? But it's much more than that, because what we're going to see here is, uh, if you were to look up this Greek word in Strong's, Concordance, or Thayer's uh, Greek lexicon, or, or what have you, and by the way, I'm not a Greek scholar by, by any means, uh, but this is an interesting word study. And if you look this up, it's kind of like the word logos in Greek, which is translated as the word, right? The word, John uh, 1 verse 14, the capital W word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is a very complex word, no pun intended. But that is very complex in the Greek. When you look at that one in the Greek, it's the idea of really... Not only the word, not only that which is spoken, but also the primary reason is that idea of the logos, the essence of God, the logos, the word, capital W. It's a very complex word. And uh, really, our English translation, sometimes there's a little bit lost in English translation. And uh, the Koine Greek can be a little more... Uh, specific and also can encapsulate a lot more of the meaning. It's the same thing with this word padea. And so we want to talk about that tonight and ask ourselves, what is our padea? And this word is translated variously. So let's define this Greek word padea. It's uh, translated a lot of different ways. Ephesians 6 4's training and admonition of the Lord in the New King James Version is the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the King James Version, the old King James. So the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So right off the bat, you see training, you see nurture. There's a lot of meaning in between those two different words, but it doesn't end there. The New American Standard Bible, as well as the English Standard, says it this way, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the same Greek word discipline is also uh, in our word discipling, and that is an important thought. We are to be discipling Christians, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We should be discipling our young people, our children as uh, parents, Christian parents. So the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The American Standard, the Old American Standard Version says the chastening and admonition of the Lord. And that's got a different nuance to it. Chastening is the idea of 
um, bringing in punishment when necessary as part of discipline. You know, a lot of times when we think of this word discipline that the New American Standard and the English Standard uses, we think of discipline, we do think of punishment. There's a lot more to it than that. There's also instruction. You see, if uh, we're going to punish for having done wrong for our, our children, for instance, having done wrong, if we're going to punish them, we're going to discipline them, are, are we at fault because we never taught them? Because that's part of discipline as well. So this is a big, big word, this idea of padea. It's about upbringing. It encapsulates not only the teaching aspect of imparting values to the next generation, but also the discipline side of things, both from a work ethic standpoint as well as a punishment for wrongdoing standpoint as well. What we're really dealing with here in the sermon tonight would be values, would be virtues, would be worldviews. You think that's an important topic for today's day and age? You better believe it, because the worldviews that are rampant today are anathema from the biblical worldview in many, many cases. The, uh, the worldviews of our young people as well as ourselves, they're going to play a big role in whether or not we accept the truth of God's word, whether or not we ultimately find our home in heaven. Now, these worldviews, these values, these virtues, they come from somewhere. And if parents do not actively impart a biblical padea, a biblical worldview, if we do not actively impart this to our children, then our children are going to get their values from somewhere else. And unfortunately, that is seen many times today. And so that's what we're talking about this evening. We want to look at another couple of verses, and then we're going to ask some questions. So if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in your Old Testament. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6, we want to look at verses 1 <clears throat> through 9. <clears throat> this is a critical chapter uh, for the Jews under the Old Testament. It meant everything to them. In fact, they quoted it often. Uh, part of this section is called the Shema. It's something that they would quote all the time. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and following. <clears throat> it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, your God, has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son, and your grandson, Old King James, I think it says your, chi your, uh, your children and your children's children, your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments, right? That's the whole uh, duty of man. That's the conclusion of the matter. Same idea. Verse number three, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Question, Christians, is there a land flowing with milk and honey for us today? And the answer is spiritually absolutely, because we're heading to spiritual Canaan. Verse number four, the Shema begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, 
with all your strength. That's uh, the first of the greatest commandments, isn't it? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is forming a biblical paideia in the minds and in the hearts of our children. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, decorate your house with the Word of God so that they're constantly seeing it as well as constantly hearing it in the house as God has said here. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up the child in the way that he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Let's talk about some questions that I have for the rest of the sermon tonight. Question number one. Now, these are some thinking questions. We really want to ponder this. Question number one. If I am not actively giving my children a biblical padea, a biblical training, a biblical mindset, biblical worldview, if I'm not actively giving my children a biblical padea, imparting that knowledge to them, not only for their sake, but also for their children's sake, and their children after that, then who will give my children their version of a padea? And the answer is, well, let's give you question two. We'll talk about the answer in a moment. Question number two, what other padeas are out there for my child to run into if I don't impart a biblical padea? And number three, what is the likelihood that if I fail to impart a biblical padea to my children, that my grandchildren will pick up a copy of God's word themselves and just so happen to stumble upon the truth and obey it? What is that likelihood? We're going to ask that in just a moment. Question number one. Now, all these questions revolve around something that we're going to term generational faithfulness. Do you want generational faithfulness for your family? I want generational faithfulness for my family. I want to look at all of my children when they start families of their own, and I want to look out and see faithfulness. I want them to be Christians, faithful Christians, and I want them to marry faithful Christians, and I want, to, I want them to rear their children to be faithful Christians, and so on and so, so forth. We're talking about generational faithfulness. How do we accomplish this? Well, let's go back to that question number one. <clears throat> if I am not actively giving my children a biblical padea, then who will give my children their version of a padea, a non-biblical padea? And the answer is, who will not try to do so? Because there are people all over the place that will do so. And that is a sobering thought that we need to have ever pressing before our minds. If you take the knowledge of God out of a child's brain, will there just be nothing up there or something else going to fill it? Something else is going to fill that vacuum of knowledge in their mind. 
It can't help but be the case. If they uh, are healthy and able to think, then something's going to fill up their mind. And so we have to instruct them in such a way that their minds are filled with the truth of God's Word. The devil, that old roaring lion, who walks about seeking whom he may devour, you better believe that he is after our, child, our children's minds. If he can get their minds, then he wins, at least in their lives. He'll use their friends to fill up their mind with stuff if he has to. He will use the television, the YouTube videos that they watch, the music that they listen to, the movies that they watch, or he'll use a book, or he'll use a teacher, or a professor, or a coach, or a non-Christian grandparent that they look up to, or another kind of mentor who isn't a Christian, and he'll use it to put things into their mind that are anti-biblical. The possibilities are endless. Which brings us to the things that Satan would love to fill their minds up with if we allow it. Question number two. What other padeas are out there for my child to run into if I don't impart a biblical padea to him? Well, there are a myriad, and I mean a myriad of anti-biblical ideas out there waiting in the wings to take the Bible's place in the hearts and the minds of our young people. How about secular humanism? Secular humanism is defined as the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. Modern pop psychology is full of this. Self-help books are full of this. Secular humanism. Again, it's defined as the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. For instance, if the devil can convince you that it is wrong to steal, not because God said so, but because, well, it's, uh, it's just wrong to, to steal, just generic. It's just wrong. If the devil can convince you of that, then he's got you. Because what he is doing is he is taking the morality of the matter away from the authority of the one who gave that commandment. And we need to let that sink in. You see, you cannot separate the commandments of God from the God of the commandments. And so sometimes people will uh, offer some flimsy explanation to their children. Hey, don't steal. Well, why not? Well, just don't do it. Well, don't do it because, well, it's just wrong. Explain to them why it's wrong. Because the holy God said it's wrong to steal. And it's in God's word. You see, we have to make sure and make these distinctions for our young people. The authority behind right and wrong is a holy God who is the creator of this universe. And he is the one who makes the rules. Secular humanism tries to rob God of that authority. Ultimately, those who are secular humanists would offer this reasoning for why it's wrong to steal. Well, that's just what's best for man. Okay? What happens when a certain percentage of the population that happens to be higher than 50% 
says that it is, it's perfectly okay to steal from certain others. Man's not the authority. God is. John Dewey, you heard of him? He is, uh, the, the Dewey Decimal System is named after him. Our library systems, named after John Dewey. He was a secular humanist. He was also an atheist. And I want you to listen to his words. John Dewey wrote, there is no God and there is no soul. He said, hence there is no need for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, then immutable truth is dead and buried. There is no room for fixed and natural law or permanent moral absolutes. Are we living that out today? When I say we, I mean society. We see it everywhere, don't we? What about evolutionism? We're talking about paideas, worldviews that our young people are being taught if we're not doing our job to teach them. Evolutionism. Again, this is atheistic in thought, uh, unless we're talking about theistic evolution, but that's got manifold problems to it as well. Theistic, the idea of, well, God started it and then set into motion evolution. All kinds of problems with that. There are a couple of theistic evolutionary theories. The gap theory teaches that, well, God created it, but then there was a gap, and then there was a bunch of evolution, and then he created some more. No, that is patently false. It's, it's as false as false can be. The other one is the day-age theory. And basically, this theory teaches that, uh, well, you know, the day uh, of the Lord is like a thousand years, so we really don't know how long a day is. Therefore, uh, those six days of creation plus the seventh day of rest uh, could be millions of years. That's patently false. Uh, there's many, many problems with those theories. We can talk about those if you would like. But just riddle me this one. If, if uh, that's the case, then how can we have, this is just the quick answer, how can we have God uh, creating plants on one day with no pollinators for millions of years? See, that's just one quick answer, but there are others as well. The idea that we are all descended from singular, a singular common ancestor, some one-celled organism, that spontaneously generated from non-living material to form life, after which it is said that the entire universe came from a so-called Big Bang explosion of nothing. Now, if you'll buy that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. Thank George Strait for that one. But, uh, you know, we think about how absurd it is, and yet... Are we training our young people to be able to answer these arguments that they will inevitably come across? Everywhere we turn, this is taught. It's taught in the textbooks. It's taught on uh, educational documentaries, on, uh, oh, I can't even remember the, the channel. Uh, what's that famous science channel they have, Shark Week? It's been so long since I've had cable. What is it? Discovery Channel, right. Animal Planet. It's taught everywhere. Uh, you go to a science museum, more than likely it's going to be teaching this. You go to a national park, and, and I love them, but you go to the Grand Canyon, and they're going to say millions and millions of years. It simply isn't so. 
Rather, it's a grand assumption that is just readily accepted by most of modern society. And even to question it is considered outrageous by many. Why is that? Why is questioning evolution so outrageous to many? Because they have been indoctrinated with a non-biblical padea. That's why. We could talk about a lot more. Did you know that neo-paganism is on the rise? Oh, over in Europe? No, right here. Did you know that? Did you know that there are increasing numbers of people worshiping people like, or worshiping beings, I guess you would say, like Thor and Loki? You can't make this stuff up. You can look it up, and you would be shocked and surprised. Now, I don't know how serious some of these people are. I'm sure some of them are just doing it for fun, quote-unquote. But you've got others. Have you heard of Wiccanism? That's a form of neo-paganism, and... Some of these folks are dead serious. I've done a little research on it recently, and some of it's just plain scary, to be honest. Uh, but they're finding this stuff. They're finding it. It's all the rage on the Internet, TikTok, YouTube. And again, these things are indoctrinating young people with an anti-biblical padea. Some of these things are so grotesquely, obviously immoral, we won't even mention them, but they're out there promise you. So we need to be careful and teach our young people the truth. Time won't allow us to go into some of the other movements that might try to steal the hearts of our young people, but we could have mentioned many more. We could have mentioned LGBTQism, and we have from time to time. We could mention hedonism, live and let live, do whatever you want, do as thou wilt, have fun, live it up. Radical feminism, narcissism, essentially self-worship. It's all about you, 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 self, self, self. That's narcissism. Incidentally, we're training generations of narcissists, if you think about it. Sports worship. Oh, it's fine. We'll, we'll miss Bible class and worship today. We've got a ball game. That's sports worship. Other forms of idolatry. The love of money and the worship of money. Worship of work. Technology. Social media addiction. Sectarian division. You say, well, that one's not as bad. At least they're still in Christendom. There's one church. One church that Jesus died for. And how many times do we see our young people flocking to... Uh, Denominate the denominational world. They leave the church. That's an anti-biblical Dea. Question number three. What is the likelihood that if I fail to impart a biblical Padea to my children? Okay, so we're talking generation one to generation two. If I do not impart a biblical Padea between those two generations... What is the likelihood that that following generation, my grandchildren, what's the likelihood, since they're not going to get the instruction from generation two, what's the likelihood that they will pick God's word up, learn it, study it, and obey it? Possible, but your chances go greatly down, don't they? 
generational faithfulness. That's what all of us should desire for our, our families. This is how you're going to get it. The knowledge of the Lord. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do you do that? Well, we had them in Bible class. Well, we had them in worship. That's good. What are you doing at home? Because you need to teach them at home. I'm going to get a little personal here. I have a sister, a couple years younger than me. And she was raised right, not perfectly, but she knows the truth. And she has left the Lord. And her husband is not leading her family spiritually. He is a Christian, but not faithful either. And they're going down the wrong path. And they have three precious children. Two of my nieces and a nephew. And they aren't being taught the things of God. I've been told that they are being taught. We're raising our children to believe whatever they want. And it breaks your heart. Because they know better. That's their chosen padea. And I pray that they will repent before it's too late. And my thinking... And my, my fear is that maybe they one day will, but it will be far too late for their children because they will have taught their children an anti-biblical padea. And it's going to leave them lost. This is sobering, and it's meant to be a sobering sermon because the stakes are high. We're talking human souls, and more specifically, we're talking about our descendants, our children, their souls. And if there's love for a soul, let me tell you, I love my children's souls. And I want them with me in heaven as well as with my wife one day. Am I doing everything in my power to get them there? That's a question for me. In the nurture, the padea, an admonition of the Lord, we have to, as parents, be determined. I mean, you've got to have grit told the kids the other day, you just wait. This is hard. This takes effort. It is not for the faint of heart. Parenting God's way. But I'll tell you this. If we're letting little five-year-olds <clears throat> or six- or seven-year-olds or 13-year-olds or 15-year-olds or 17-year-olds 
if we're letting them run the house instead of manning up for those of us who are fathers or whatever the equivalent of that is for the ladies and getting it done and parenting, we're messing up. And there will be consequences. And shame on us because the stakes are high. There's no room for error in this matter. The Bible tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The old King James says betimes. What does that mean? It means as early and as often as needed. That's not popular today, is it? And we see the fruits of it all around us. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod. That's talking about a measured appropriate dose, by the way. That's not talking about going crazy. But what will you do? You will deliver his soul from hell. That's what you'll do. You discipline him. Training up a child takes work. It takes effort. It's not for the faint of heart, but it will be well worth it if we can find ourselves in heaven with them one day. And that's what I want for my children. That's what I want for you and for your children as well. What is your padea? What is your world view? What are your values? Your virtue? Your sense of how, how you look through the lens of life. Is it a biblical lens or not? May it ever be that the nurture and admonition of the Lord are the values found in our homes. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, whether to come and put on our Lord in baptism, repenting of your sins and confessing your faith in Him, or if you need to respond for any other reason, we ask that you please come while we stand and while we sing.